The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. Good afternoon and welcome to the Massage Podcast, Episode 7. I'm your host, Don Adkins, along with Elaine Kalenda and Jorge Cisneros. We are here to inform the world about massage and also being massage therapists. We've had some really great guests here. Um, you can find us at massagepodcast.com. If you have any questions, you can send us an email on the contact page and you can come chat with us during live recordings and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today we have a wonderful guest. His name is Whitney Lowe and he's recognized as an authority on pain and injury treatment with massage therapy. His contributions to the massage field are wide ranging and include professional publications, teaching, clinical work, consulting, and participating participation in national boards and committees. He is the producer of one of the profession's most innovative online continuing education training in orthopedic massage. Elaine, I'm going to let you run away with this. All right. Well, I'm so glad that you um, decided and you were able to join us today with your busy schedule. I know teaching and running around the country teaching. So I really appreciate it. And I have, um, first of all, would like you to tell people about how you got into the field, you know, it's always a question that I'm asked a lot. And it's always, I think, of interest to find out how people end up in the field of massage therapy and body work. So give us a little bit of uh, information for the folks about your background and who you trained with and that kind of thing, please, Whitney. Kind of burned out in this graduate program and feeling like I wasn't really getting to learn the stuff that I really wanted to learn. So I thought what I would do is is take a short break from graduate school and go to massage school and learn some more about the body. And then maybe just use my little hobby, massage hobby, to pay my way through the rest of my graduate school program. So I went to massage school, and like so many other people, I got absolutely hooked on it and just fascinated with what was going on in the field and never went back to finish my uh, master's degree in psychology um, and have been in the massage field ever since that time but also have continued to be a, a school and education junkie just because I, I love learning so much and um, actually went back to, uh, attempted to go to graduate school one more time. Uh, after I got into massage field, I started a, a, another master's program in biomechanics and sports medicine at Georgia State University uh, back in the late uh, 80s and early 90s. And then that program got interrupted by another um, opportunity to do some very in-depth one-on-one uh, work with a great uh, colleague and, and icon in our profession, who is Benny Vaughn. And um, I thought that opportunity was too good to pass up as a great educational process, and I thought I would go back and, and finish my master's degree later on, and then ended up doing a number of other things after that, and also moving out of the state, so I never went back and finished it. So I've got a, a very sort of um, 
checkered and diverse educational background, but I've always tried to seek and take advantage of every uh, educational opportunity when it came around to, to really make the best use of them. All right. Well, I'm really glad that you went to massage school. Which school did you attend? I went to the Atlanta School of Massage. This was back in uh, 1987. Good old Atlanta School of Massage. That's a good school. And, um, you're, and you're from Georgia, right? I am from Georgia. It's my southern accent. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I um, have when people ask me about you when we're looking at your book at uh, Boulder College Massage Therapy, uh, it's one of the books that I point out to my students who are having trouble with doing assessments or even trying to understand why it's so important for them to know all these assessments. And I think that your book, I mean, there's some assessment books out there. And your book just is so meticulous and so easy to understand, and your explanations are always so clear, whether you're writing, speaking, um, you know, uh, working with any kind of adversity. I've seen you in some tough situations. Your explanations are always so clear and easy to understand. And I think for basic students, uh, students in the basic program, that's really um, one of the things that I think shines in your book in your books, I should say, um, besides just being really great resources for, a set, I call you the assessment king at the school there. So anyway, I just want to um, thank you for putting together such great material for both the beginner, student, and uh, as well as the seasoned practitioner out there. Um, your products are, are most excellent. And, yeah. um, you know, every time I think I'm going to sit down and write a book, I think, well, you know, how do I get so organized? How can I get organized and organize my thoughts? I'm just so, what, where do I even start? So what I like about your book is it's about assessment, but not just about assessments. It also explains, it has great illustrations, diagrams, and just the full picture of why it's so important to do assessment. Now, what I want to ask you about uh, first of all, you know, we're going to put, um, for anyone who's interested, your publications and videos and products up on our website. But uh, it's also, uh, and this is important because there's a lot of people out there selling a bunch of stuff for massage therapists, and I feel like a lot of times they gouge on the price. Whitney's products are also very reasonably priced. Uh, so just keep that in mind when you're taking a look at what you get for the money. Um, and so what I wanted to ask you is why is orthopedic assessment so important um, and and do you have any idea you know I have a feeling that a lot of massage therapists may learn a couple of orthopedic tests but they don't really utilize them in their day-to-day -day practice as much as I think they should because as you say here um, the reason that you do so much orthopedic assessment it's because if you don't do it, you're pretty much just out there, you know, working on assumptions. I think that's phrased very accurately. Uh, and if you have a lot of experience like I do, I work not on assumptions, I wouldn't say, but if I'm uh, uh, curious, like this person's arm, she can't raise her arm. Why? There are several reasons why. So it's good to know these assessment tests so that you can really zero in on the soft tissue and... Uh, save yourself time, and also be a more effective practitioner. So tell us why you think um, assessments are so important, and, and 
do you think that a lot of massage therapists utilize them or that it's underutilized? Well, um, I'm going to go back to some things that, that occurred to me early on in my practice once I got out and started um, working with people who had various pain complaints. Um, I was taking a lot of continuing education courses at that time, and, and this was, again, as I mentioned, back in the late 80s, and a lot of the, what we consider sort of stellar instructors that are around now were coming through the area where I was in Atlanta and doing courses stuff, Paul St. John and Jude Delaney, Benny Vaughn, Scott Lamp, and uh, all these people were doing some, some outstanding workshop courses, and what I noticed in a lot of these courses and what was happening in a lot of continuing education in our field uh, across the board was there was a tremendous amount of emphasis on learning techniques. And I thought all of these techniques were valuable and I kept looking for sort of a magic bullet of what was going to be the technique that would help me help everybody do the pain and injury problem. And it, uh, there was one day in particular, I remember this, where I had a, a patient who came in my clinic, I had opened up this clinic in a medical office building, and I uh, um, you know, tried to network with some of the doctors, and the doctor sent um, a patient down to me who was in excruciating back pain, and she came in and told me that she'd been sent to me by the doctor, and I you know, started talking to her, and I realized as I was talking to her, I had no idea what's wrong with her, and I don't know how to proceed with this process. She hadn't been given a diagnosis by the doctor. She just said, you know, he just had said she had severe back pain, maybe massage would help. And I realized at that point, you know, it's it just like a, a mechanic with your car. It just, if something's going wrong with your car, you don't take it to somebody who may have just studied a lot of things that they can do with tools. There's all kinds of incredible things that you can do to a car with a tool, but maybe it's not the right thing. And the same thing is really true with any sort of approach to dealing with a situation where the body is not working correctly. In order to address that problem and have the most effective result, you have to know what the problem really is. And what I saw is that this is just one thing we are not teaching in our profession at all. So much of the coursework that's around, and there's some fantastic courses out there, um, no doubt, but most all of the coursework in, in continuing education, a lot of what we learn in school is simply focused on teaching us how to do things specifically with our hands. And uh, so much of assessment is about what's called clinical reasoning and the um, decision-making process. If, a, like you mentioned, if the client has pain when they lift their arm this way, but they don't have pain when they move their arm another way and they have you know, pain with a passive movement or active movement and not a passive movement. What does all that mean? And that's what I really want to emphasize with people and put into a framework of how can massage therapists begin to use this information more effectively. Because I found that for me, once I learned and started applying assessment concepts, my treatments were way, way more effective and much more efficient, and I got people better much more quickly because we were doing the most appropriate things. That's right. And I share that opinion, and I, I, as physical assessment um, has opened up a whole new world uh, to my approach to each and every patient because everyone is different, and every, every, every um, soft tissue injury is a little bit different. Here's the other thing. And that I found was many times when doctors refer to us, they do refer to us without a diagnosis. And um, 
even if they do say, well, okay, that, that's probably a herniated disc, go ahead and work on them because if you could relieve some of that uh, spasm in the muscle there, uh, we can get them some pain relief. And, or they'll say they refuse to take medication to relax the muscles, maybe massage will help. This is really scary. And then um, the other thing is there are, people present with all kinds of neuralgia, uh, all kinds of neuropathies. And you, if you don't have the, the MRI to look at, you don't have x-rays, you don't have the person standing there saying, this is, the, I think, the cause or the diagnosis of this part. Your assessment skills are your best friend in those cases. Not only will they help you be, become a more effective practitioner, they're going to also keep you from uh, make, uh, making a critical decisions, um, critical thinking process that will help you avoid hurting that person. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And this is one of the crucial things that uh, we need to realize that I think a lot of massage therapists don't really think about, even the ones who may be working with um, traditional medical practitioners frequently, which is that so many soft tissue disorders don't show up on the traditional diagnostic methodology, you know, x-rays, MRIs, and those types of things. And therefore, physical examination skills, those very same skills that massage therapists may utilize are highly effective for identifying many soft tissue disorders and will help you determine you know, what kind of things are going to be most appropriate with the client, when should it be referred out, or how can you work, uh, what type of techniques, what type of methods will be most effective in dealing with those types of problems. So the use of those skills is something that's ideally suited for us because we spend so much time with these people working on soft tissue disorders and the physical examination skills don't require us to have x-ray machines, MRI machines, or any of those kinds of things available to us. All right. And the other thing I think it does is that it helps your client. You know, I mean, our clients, a lot of times, our patients get up off the table. Many times they'll feel better. Um, but it's, it's also helpful when you do those assessment tests, it's as if they... Um, can see how they're also graduating as they improve by the by the results of the tests. Like when the first time you did that to me, that really hurt. I could barely stand it. And now I can do it and push against you and it doesn't hurt. It's also good for measuring progress, which always gives people um, incentive to do uh, the self-care that you give them. It also gives them uh, hope that they are getting better. It's a measure of progress as well. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. It's one of the, the very important things that gets sort of underemphasized when people talk about assessment, because a lot of people think about, well, that's something that only happens the first time that you're working with the client. But, you know, you keep in mind, you know, every the whole time you're working on somebody and you're feeling the quality and te uh, texture of their tissues or you're feeling levels of tension in their body, that is assessment. And it is an ongoing process it helps you measure and quantify the state of what's going on in the tissues. And like you mentioned, a very valuable method to measure progress by. Right. So, uh, the, so listening massage therapists out there, if you're, um, you know, a little getting a little stale in your private practice and uh, you're not attracting the kind of interesting cases that you want, a lot of it could be because people don't know you as somebody who's going to do assessments. Okay, orthopedic assessments. People don't um, connect you with somebody who's perhaps um, got those skills and can work with a number of different injuries and chronic conditions and painful situations. So if you want to put a little 
a spark into your practice. Um, orthopedic assessments are something that I know. I, I know about uh, 200 of them, and there's probably about 2,000 of them out there. So there's, there's something that I'm always looking to learn and to, to improve with, too. So get out there and um, uh, pick up the, you know, check out Whitney's products because, as I said in the beginning of this podcast, uh, he's got some of the best explanations. And if you're just learning or you just want to, um, you know, you may have learned a little bit of orthopedic assessment at school, but you really don't um, have a, a big toolbox full of those kinds of tests. Uh, his products are very good. We'll have information on our podcast, uh, specifically how to check those out, read the testimonials, and and look into purchasing those. So, uh, but Whitney, I want to talk with you now about. Um, I want you to tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days. You're involved in some exciting stuff and some um, some uh, groundbreaking. You're always on the groundbreaking edge of things, but you're on the groundbreaking. Uh, things that are going on in massage therapy. What would you like to tell us? Uh, tell us what you're up to these days. Well, you know, kind of a number of different things on, on my plate these days. You know, I have, uh, as I kind of mentioned, because of my background of, of you know, studying for graduate school and being a school junkie, have always been um, fascinated with research and trying to get uh, massage therapists sort of connected with a lot of the research that's published that's relevant for what we're doing. So some of the things that I'm continuing to look at are finding ways to uh, help facilitate and improve the access that massage therapists have to a lot of uh, current stuff that's published in medical research journals or, or other types of publications out there. One of the big challenges that we have in this field, especially those massage therapists who work with more medically oriented um, practices, is we really haven't learned how to utilize and, and take advantage of those kinds of resources a great deal because our training just didn't really prepare us for doing that kind of thing. And because we don't have high academic standards in our educational training, there's not a great deal of emphasis on that, but it really is exciting to see a lot of the movement towards people doing more of that kind of stuff, incorporating more um, research activities with what they're doing. So that's something that's always been a big focus of mine, as you mentioned, trying to make a lot of that stuff more understandable and more usable and user-friendly people. So that's uh, been a big focus of mine. And one of the ways that I've tried to uh, begin doing that some more I've gotten very involved with online education um, because of what we really talked about earlier with um, so many of the things that need to be done uh, for massage therapists to learn how to treat pain and injury complaints are much more than just learning to do something with your hands. Uh, you need to learn biomechanics, kinesiology, uh, pathology, neurophysiology, all kind of, and especially some very important factors of clinical decision making and reason processes. And uh, you know, I was teaching continuing education workshops for many years and becoming increasingly frustrated with the difficulty of trying to teach those concepts in weekend workshops because the format is just too short to right. do it appropriately. And I began that back in the early 2000s, uh, probably actually uh, really late 1990s and early 2000s. I began looking into online education because I was watching what was happening with some of the trends of its use in medical school and in medical education for teaching some of these same kinds of concepts. And I really thought this was applicable 
to what we were doing in massage education. So I have become a passionate advocate for the use of very high quality online education for teaching a lot of these kinds of concepts and skills. Now granted we are really at the infancy of online education in massage and right now there is um, like anything in its newest stages, there's a lot of um, really poor quality stuff that exists out there with people who are just trying to jump on a bandwagon. Yeah. But there are also some really high quality things available as well. And it's going to take a while for some of that to flesh out and kind of let people begin to develop some ability to understand how to uh, evaluate good stuff and see what is bad stuff. Because um, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and uh, the use of online educational models is clearly one of the most significant trends in changing of education that we've seen in truly in over hundreds of years uh, in terms of the way people are learning. So there's a tremendous amount of benefit and potential here if it's done well. But right now, um, it's, it's really easy to uh, throw a bunch of content on the web and call it online education, and it's really not. There's a lot more to it, so. and uh, that's one of the things that I'm trying to push is, is push the envelope of really uh, showing and demonstrating what a, what high quality uh, online education can potentially accomplish. Well, what would you say to the people who right away say massage therapy, online education, they just don't go together, they're like oil and water, and um, there's no way you can learn any kind of, certainly any kind of uh, hands-on uh, or any, how do you show competency? I mean, what's your, what's your pat answer for these folks? Because they're out there, they're in our field, they're massage therapists for many years. And when this first, you know, the, the idea of distance education first came uh, around a few years ago, people were up in arms about it. When you're talking about there, if some good, there's some terrible stuff out there. I remember the first ethics classes you could take online to get your ethics. Some of them were okay. Some of them were terrible. What do you tell people to to to, to help them understand? Um, as maybe a specific example between what's good distance education and what's and what's basically crap out there. Well, there's a couple things, and I'm glad you brought this up because this is a real common uh, debate. That that's encountered. And the first point that I want to bring up is that, you know, people point fingers at a lot of the really bad distance education out there, but I also would like to call attention to the fact that there's a lot of really bad classroom education out there. <laughs> and, you know, that's something that's not talked about a lot. There's no, you can't make the assumption that just because something happens in a classroom, it's good, and just because it's online, it's bad. That just simply that's, is inaccurate. It's a very and, good point, yeah. There's, a, there's not a, the same degree of scrutiny is not applied to what's happening in the classroom as what's going on uh, online. And, you know, we've had some situations in entry-level education in our field where people go to massage school, they get out of school, and six months later they're the teacher. And, you know, this <laughs> without having, you know, had neither professional experience of any significance nor any skill and learning in teaching and educational theory either. Right, right. So, Again, this is something that, that people really need to be able to be comparing on the level playing field if they're going to make this kind of comparison. But the other thing is, and this is something you brought up too, where I think there's a big misunderstanding is people tend to lump continuing education and entry-level education together mm -hmm. and also lump hands-on skills and non-hands-on skills together. I will never advocate 
that we have online education for teaching entry-level hands-on treatment skills. We should not be doing that. Right. You know, those skills need to be taught in the classroom with a teacher because you need to have the feedback. Uh, you need to have the teacher supervise. You need to have feedback from the client. Um, those, when you're first learning those kinds of skills, that needs to be done in the classroom. But when you have already established a base level of skills and certain types of things, and you have a, a good degree of knowledge already, it's not inappropriate to think, for example, that you could learn some additional things by watching a skilled practitioner do a particular demonstration on video, for example. If you already know and have basic understanding of these concepts, you can often learn how to do something by watching another professional do a, a particular skill on video or some other type of distance medium. But this is also just a piece of what distance education is about. Like I was saying earlier, I don't really think that teaching and learning techniques, yeah, that online education is the best way to do that. I still think, even in continuing education, if you really want to learn a lot of technique things, um, it is a great advantage to be there in the classroom. But there's so much more to learn than just techniques, and that's where online education can really excel, is in those more cognitively based uh, subjects, you know, things like business, professional practice, ideology, biomechanics, um, clinical reasoning process, assessment concepts, constructing treatment plans, you know, when is it appropriate to refer out, what, uh, you know, how do you massage work along with a patient who's also getting physical therapy at the same time. These aren't necessarily hands-on techniques. They're things that you think about. They're things that you make decisions about and things that you consider and use your thought process for. That's where very well-constructed online program can really excel. Yeah, and you know when you've come across a very well-constructed one, and when it's not, when it's just, uh, who the heck put this together? Um, you know, this, uh, and, and we, we really have to be realistic in the field of massage therapy and not think that we're ever going to get away from high, high technology. This is the other thing some of my, um, you know, old hippie colleagues just feel like, Oh, computers, they're so toxic. You know, it's not that easy. I mean, we have students who are 19 and 18 now, and they can't get away from their computers. So we can't, uh, you know, we can teach them as much as we can about how important it is to have, you know, uh, personal relations in massage therapy and to be a personable person, and that this, is a, this field is, is a lot of intimacy in reacting in, in relating to other people. But they're not going to put those cell phones down. Um, you know, it's just, it's not realistic. The other thing is that, yeah, I have a video that's a training video and it's, it is, um, it says right there at the beginning of the video, this is intended for a trained massage therapist and certainly, um, not for, uh, just anyone to get their hands on another person. Some of those techniques are quite complex and you can really, uh, hurt somebody very badly if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and and it's had it's had uh, some pretty good success. I've had some good comments from practitioners who've purchased it, saying that it's easy to see and thank you. You helped me figure out how to you know get. I always had trouble working around the axilla without actually working up into it. Thank you for emphasizing that. And then the other thing is there there's some uh, you could even learn uh, or brush up um, on your anatomy uh, from utilizing distance education. To the point where some of those things can be difficult, like they do in medical schools, for instance, 
um, a box of bones. We do at the school, you know, you, you can put a, a photograph up there of uh, six or seven bones. And yeah. you have to guess and you have to figure out whether that's the left fibula or the right fibula. I don't know how many massage schools actually got into that much detail or made it that difficult for people to learn their anatomy through using this visual um, media. And it really yeah. can be quite effective. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, that I always say to people when we talk about the online education and the developmental process for it, because I've, I've been a classroom teacher for over 20 years and I've been involved with, with online education in depth for almost 10 years now from a lot of, a lot of research that I did before I even developed my first online course. And I'll say this, that it's relatively easy to create an online course. It's very hard to create a good online course. Mm-hmm. And that's where a big distinction happens because it's, it's pretty easy to throw up a PowerPoint presentation and make a multiple choice quiz and call it uh, education, call it training. It's incredibly easy just to listen to that thing, go up, scroll through the text and find out where the answer is and punch the button, send it in. And you know some of the stuff that I've seen out there is just, it is so bad in terms of instructional design and educational quality. And that's where people are, are you know, seeing a lot of this stuff and making judgments that that's what, that's what all online education is about. But it all goes back to um, a fundamental principle about education called instructional design, which is that, you know, any kind of content can exist just as content by itself, but unless you can put it together in a way that a person can can appropriately learn and absorb it and make it part of their whole entire learning experience, it's not going to stick with them. And good instructional design, and you know, you can have a very simple course technologically that's got a very solid, well-built instructional design, and it may take a great deal of time to put that together because so much thought was put into it. Same with a classroom course. You know, you can get up there and try. I mean, I, I hate to hear this, but I have heard so many stories of people who had a, a teacher in school who got up in front of them and basically read to them out of the book. I mean, that is bad instructional design. Even the basic lecture model that we use in the classroom nowadays, where students are, you know, lectured and talked to and then told to go study this stuff and remember it for a test. If you actually look at a lot of research on instructional design and learning theory, that's not a really good way to learn. If people aren't taking things into their own lives and making it useful information that they're going to continue to use and find relevance for once they get out of the practice, it's gone. It's gone as soon as the test is over. So, you know, the, the concept about education and and this is something that I have really found, you know, really to be my absolute greatest passion in this field is about education. Finding ways to teach and share content and information with people in a way that can help more practitioners be able to help more people. And well, this is one of the things that we tremendously lack is an emphasis on training teachers in good instructional design and learning theory. We really need to do some work in this area. We do because so many of our instructors, you know, were, as you said, graduated. They, they were chosen because they showed potentially as students and potential as uh, as massage therapists is certainly the way I got my start. 
Dawn has a question here for you. Um, yeah. yeah. I was just uh, looking at your website, and I see you offer a certification in uh, the orthopedic massage. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that you can, or it's possible to get certified solely on the online education. Is that correct? That's correct. And one of the things that, that I would emphasize about this is uh, also helping people understand what orthopedic massage actually is, because this is a common misconception uh, that people have about it. Uh, it isn't a technique. Uh, it's kind of like um, the concept of orthopedic medicine or orthopedic physical therapy. <clears throat> this is a branch of um, the, uh, the practice that's focused on the treatment of pain or injury complaints. So what we're really what we're really testing and certifying people in when we talk about orthopedic massage is not do they have a specific group of, of skills that they can master, like this particular technique done this way, this particular method. What we're really training people in are those clinical decision skills, the rehabilitation science, and the concepts that are necessary to work in an environment treating pain and injury complaints. We strongly advocate and suggest that people have additional training to learn skills that will help them do this. But I have found over the years that massage therapists can do exceptional work treating pain and injury complaints, usually with the skills that they are taught in massage school, if they know how to adopt them, how to change them, how to work with them, and use them appropriately. That's what we're really That makes sense to me, as I'm also involved with teaching a 150-hour program in sports and orthopedic massage at our school, as you know, Whitney, and you're absolutely right. It's not that we're teaching people a whole bunch of new technique. We're teaching them these skills that you've talked about to increase their competency and to, to help them become to work on more complex injuries and conditions in a safe manner. And that mm-hmm. involves uh, a broader understanding of all of the basic education, physiology, pathology, um, and critical thinking skills uh, in order to do that. So orthopedic massage is not a technique. It's a really good way to put that. Yes, yeah, in, in our uh, training program, for example, the people who do choose to do that option where they're doing it entirely online. As part of their online training program, they do receive uh, DVDs from us that cover assessment skills and treatment methods that are discussed and that they're using in the course in the process of their other learning activities. So they have those resources as a free part of their additional education. It's back to that other issue that we talk about. Like if you already have some basic level of skill and understanding, you can learn some things from those types of formats that will be relative to what you're doing in your practice. Right. And if they're done in a way that is a um, high-quality video, you can see the instructor's hands. You can, you know, it's like being there. Uh, and again, some videos are done really well, and some are done, you know, they're not, they're shot in a way that there's the poor lighting, poor sound. So, I mean, yours are high-quality uh, it's like being there. And we have to also face that fact, too, that with, again, with media and technology and with the, with the economy the way it is, sometimes you have to take your continuing education, not just because um, 
you you need to renew your NCB or your or your AMTA membership, but because you want to take a, you know your you need to take some continuing education to to avoid burnout and because you want to learn these techniques, but you can't always fly to Philadelphia or you know leave your practice for several days. So these media are really a good way um, to uh, to be able to have that continuing education without leaving town. I mean, there's nothing like taking a live class. And let me tell you, um, we and and you know Whitney how nice it is to have people come from all over. Uh, to visit, to come to your classes in person, but that's not possible for everybody. Yeah, it really isn't, and that's actually, you know, one of the main reasons that I was looking into some of these other aspects of trying to make this kind of content available through online educational opportunities, because, you know, massage therapists don't make the kind of money that makes it easy for them, like you said, to just give up several days' work, go spend a bunch of money on a hotel in a city somewhere far away, and, and uh, you know, spend the workshop tuition and all the other costs associated with it. So if you're not living in the town where some workshop uh, opportunities come available, you are at a very serious educational disadvantage, and it's going to hurt your practice, and it's going to hurt those clients that you're seeing as well. So I want to try to help level the playing field so that more people in a wider variety of places can have access to high-quality educational opportunities so that they can do things. Do you feel this certification that you're offering helps massage therapists better able to communicate with doctors and maybe get some clients out of that? Oh, absolutely, because one of the things that we focus on is, you know, um, having all the educational activities of the online course mimic the real-life work environment, which is something you can't really do the same way in a workshop. So in the online courses, for example, they're having to interact with the computer on simulated case studies where they have to determine the nature of a client's problem and then write up detailed treatment notes and then I'm actively involved in the online course. This is again something that's very different in our online course compared to a lot of the things that are out there which is that I'm an active participant with each student throughout the entire duration of the course. I'm giving them feedback on the assignments that they submit. But that's really the fact that they're having to write and construct detailed treatment notes and write a lot of stuff and read things that are in these formats, it really enhances the communication skills that a practitioner is going to use and benefit when they work with other health professionals and work with their clients who have these kind of problems. That is um, very important. I even find since, you know, I've taken all kinds of continuing education, I've been out of school for eight years, and I still find my stomach kind of cramp up a little bit at the idea of trying to tell a doctor what how I can help their patients uh, with pain and um, assessment and, and everything. And so I think that's very important for people who are thinking about working with doctors um, know about your yeah, program. This, Thank you. I, yes, and I what you brought up here, Don, is a real crucial issue that a lot of massage therapists struggle with, and that's just the, the sense of self-confidence because we are often working with other health professionals who may have such a very, you know, different educational background in terms of what they've gone through. And we have to find a way to bridge that gap to be able to communicate with them and, and work more effectively with them, learn their language and help them learn our language as well so that we can, in fact, communicate on these areas. But what a lot of massage therapists need to remember is 
we don't have the level of education that they have in the specific topics that they've studied. But the same is true on the flip side of that. They don't have the same level of education in dealing with soft tissue uh, in the way that we have dealt with it and learned to do it. So when we can sort of keep that in mind and uh, begin to develop a, a bit more self-confidence with, with what we're doing, it really greatly enhances how we can communicate with them. I think that's a, a very good putting things in perspective, for sure. I think a lot of us feel forget that exactly what you said that we are trained in in soft tissue we have more training than than the doctors and i think that's very helpful in soft yeah. tissue and palpation skills and don your question to whitney just now was the this is it this is the pivotal part of what he was trying to explain and how what i how i've been explained to about what's good distance education and what's not so good the when the, t the teacher is virtually there maybe virtual but they're there and some of the courses in psychology and some of the courses um some of the better courses that they're doing with ethics you have to communicate with that instructor you have to do papers and they have and they will read those papers and they will email back to you uh their critique and um and there's an absolutely back and forth open communication that's going on there this is not easy that's the yeah. other thing. It's not easy, but it's supportive. And when you do it, you feel like you've taken a valuable course and not just some skimpy little, you know, uh, way to get to, to learn a little bit about something. It's quite, it can be quite involved. And, and I've heard people say that it's, it can be even more difficult because, um, you know, or I shouldn't say difficult, but more challenging because of the things you have to read and, and your teacher will know whether you read that research article or not. Your teacher will know whether you're doing the work or not based on your, on your answers. Um, wouldn't you agree, uh, Whitney? Absolutely. And there's another important facet of this, too, that gets back to learning theory of, of what uh, a great advantage for this type of learning process when you have a facilitated course that has an instructor there. If you're in a classroom situation, and you're hearing a lecture, and something the instructor says sparks your mind to think, oh, wow, and you have a question about this, uh, or you're listening to somebody else uh, ask a question about a certain concept, if you don't quite get it when it's said at that moment, the instructor is often moving, moving on, and you don't have an opportunity to really reflect and think about this because you're going to miss the next three or four things that that person's going to say, and you don't want to miss those things. Right. But maybe you didn't quite get that concept. In the online environment, we have a facilitated course that has an instructor, or even when you're having communication among different um, participants in the course, and that's another thing that's highly valuable in the use of discussion forums with other students. When somebody posts a question or a comment, you don't have to instantaneously respond to it. You can go look up information. You can think about it. You can really reflect on it. You can dive into this question and then make your response or then ask the question of the instructor for greater clarification. And the time that you have to think about these things in greater detail and process that information in greater detail before you either ask or answer a question greatly enhances the retention of the concepts that you're trying to accomplish and trying to work on. Yeah. For so many of us, we, we didn't get enough attention at school because we were kind of deep thinkers. We needed that time to kind of look out the window and let that thought sit with us. And, uh, you know, so this is a great, a different learning environment, but also very important. 
And as you say, that you you are in class with others. Everyone gives their um, gives their opinion. Jorge? Yeah, you know another another but, a very crucial facet of this is the issue of attention span. If you read any of the research on in educational theory about uh, <laughs> attention span, you'll you'll note that most people have an attention span less than an hour to really focus on something, but they have to sit in a like a three hour class about right. a topic. So the question comes back to how much of that are they really getting? Or you go to the real far end of that extreme, which is what I was talking about being so frustrated with, the you know, seven to eight hour workshop day, three days in a row. You know, people are so mentally burned out and they're just not getting a lot of what's being said because they've lost that attention span. And in an online course, I mean you can work during the, the 20 minutes that you are most attentive, if that happens to be at 11 o'clock at night when everybody's going to bed and it's really quiet and you can really focus, that's when you can do your work and you can do it for just 30 minutes and then drop it and let go and come back at another time. Some people so do really, better at those hours. I, I don't know how, but they do. That's right. Some what people hate? do. Yeah. yeah, for other people, it's 5 in the morning, you know? Right. I have a question for you, Whitney. Uh, how many uh, students have got their certification through your uh, program? Uh, well, through through just the online program or yes. through... Yes, the, the online. Uh, you know, actually, I don't know right off the top of my head, but I would say probably somewhere around uh, 25 to 40 or something like that. I have to actually run some numbers, but I don't know for sure if that's um, the number of people who've actually completed it. It's actually a pretty intensive program. It's 120 hours um, in its in its full length. So, and it's not uh, it's not for the faint of heart. You got to really be interested in doing this. Like I said, because like Elaine was mentioning, it's a lot of work, um, and we really get into these topics in, in pretty good detail. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I uh, you are listening to the Massage Podcast today. We're here with Whitney Lowe, who is a he produces one of the profession's most innovative online continuing education for orthopedic massage, um, and it sounds like it's very involved with assessment. And I'm convinced, so I'll be signing up for the first orthopedic massage online education. It sounds fascinating. I know I've been needing something like this myself. Uh, yeah, I get you know eight years. I feel like I, I should be learning more. Um, you can find Whitney at www.omeri.com. That's O-M-E-R-I. And it's a, very, it's a very thorough website. Everything you need to know is there. And um, if you're looking for us at Massage Podcast, please contact us at massagepodcast.com on our contact page. And we would love for you to come and chat and ask our guests questions during live recordings. And please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you need to send a message or a text message, we can also be reached at 303-656-9860. And uh, Whitney, we would like to ask you, we always have a tip of the week. And we'd like to see pick your brain for a tip of the week for our listeners as far as um, new massage therapists or massage therapists in general. Just uh, what advice would you like to throw out there? Yeah, really. We need like a little jingle. Tip of the week. Tip, tip of, of the week. week. Tip yeah. of the week. <laughs> well, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this. this is kind of um, interesting, both in the the concept of new massage therapists and people who've been around for a while, um, because you mentioned too sometimes wanting to talk about various things that you find successful in your practice. 
Um, you know, one of the big problems that we have in this field is longevity, is keeping people in this field for a long period of time. And you know, part of it relates to business and financial issues of, of challenges and difficulty for people staying around, but a lot of it also is, is physical burnout and the challenges that people face in trying to stay physically capable of doing what they're doing with massage. And um, my tip of the week this week is going to um, go back to both a, a tool issue and a self-care issue. Um, uh, you know, I sit at my computer for a lot of the day, and this also was true when I was in the clinic for a lot of hours, just trying to really take care of myself to keep, you know, some degree of longevity. And uh, I stumbled across uh, this massage tool back in the early 90s, I think, when it first came out. And I have been addicted to this ever since. Um, and uh, this is the, the Theracane, probably seen um, advertising messages for it or whatever in some of the magazines. Whatever type of tool you choose to use, take a few, just a few minute break in between what you're doing. If it's in between clients, it's, you know, you're sitting at your desk or doing something, you know, get up and move around. You know, during uh, a good bit of this podcast, I've been sitting here working on my low back because I sit in my chair all the time with my, all right. and I'm working on hurricane, you know, and really helping me both relax and stretch out. And these are the, the little short periods that you take to work on keeping yourself in tune have a huge impact on the longevity of your ability to keep physically fit and doing what you're doing. And the other thing that I would say to the practitioners who are out there in the trenches doing this work all day long, <laughs> we oftentimes don't put enough attention on the conditioning and strengthening needs to condition our bodies for what we're doing. So I mean, think seriously about keeping up with some regular ongoing hand and finger strengthening exercises to be able to withstand the demands that you put on your body. Just like an athlete would not attempt to go into competition without training and preparation, we have a physically demanding occupation and we need to be able to physically train ourselves to be prepared to, to do what we're doing there. Whitney, do you have clients anymore? Or are you just uh, busy with your teaching? I'm doing pretty much exclusively educational things nowadays. I, I've um, taken a couple through, throughout my career, taken a couple different sabbaticals away from clinical work um, to go do a bunch of teaching things. And, and several years ago, I kind of got to this point of saying, you know, you know, I had a, I was trying to run my clinical practice and, and do the educational things, and my clients were getting upset because I was always on the road teaching, and they were, you know, it's not around a lot. And I said, you know, I've got to kind of decide where my passion is and where my focus needs to be, and I, I really determined at that point that my primary interest and passion was in education. So that's what I really spend the majority of my time focusing on. But I also don't want to ever let go of those skills and I still do massage work periodically it's not in a you know a full regular practice now but I, I I do do clinical things periodically so that I can keep those skills current and keep up with what I'm doing and I, you know I still try to do you know workshop training programs and other educational things to learn new skills and see what other new innovative things people are doing and so I stay on top of that stuff as much as possible. Whitney do you teach do you do all the teaching yourself or do you kind of have a, an instructor certification program as well for maybe to you know spread the, the good news? Yeah, I have had some people that uh, very dedicated teaching assistants working with me over the years um, to, that have also begun teaching some of the courses and things that I do. And, uh, you know, I, I will have to say I'm extremely particular about the, the educational skill set that those people have before they start teaching because, 
you know, um, like a number of other things I've mentioned, it's not just about are you good at doing a particular technique. I want people to learn a lot about learning theory and presentation skills and, and teaching concepts because you can be one of the greatest clinical practitioners around, but if you cannot share that appropriately, you're not going to be a good teacher. And so teaching is a real skill. It's something that needs to be trained and, and learned. So I do put a good deal of emphasis on any of those people that are working with me on a more regular basis to try to teach as many of those skills so they can do the same quality, really high-quality presentations in the classroom. Wonderful, Whitney. Thank you so much yeah, thank for you. being with us today. This is really great information, and I know a lot of people I'm going to pass your website on to, especially here in Colorado, we're all, we all just want to be the best. So, well, yeah, I think it's a great thing for everyone to aspire to because there are so many people out there who need the help of really talented and high quality massage therapists, and we just um, we're at the brink of being able to do some some incredible things for the healthcare profession. But we we've got to do some things to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and improve our training a bit to get there. Right, and thank you so much, Whitney, for taking the time to join us today and I just want to say that I appreciate that the brilliance and uh, that you bring to um, teaching it is an art and um, but you're you've always been a very gracious instructor and a very generous instructor uh, so I want to thank you very much for uh, conveying these very important uh, theories and um, and information with us today well, and I want you, you to yeah, give my, my love to that lovely wife of yours We'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it. All right. Well, you have been listening to the Massage Podcast. Thank you if you've been listening. And um, we look forward to seeing you guys soon. Uh, we have a guest next week. Is that correct? And who's our guest, Elaine or Jorge? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Tomorrow. we have um, Chris Balsley who's a licensed psych, uh, psych, uh, psychologist, and he's going to be uh, talking with us about a very exciting uh, adjunct to massage, which is called trauma or tension release exercises. He's been working for a few years with David Verselli, who developed tension release exercises for working with people who have been traumatized from everything from earthquakes to um, natural disasters of all different kinds and Chris has worked with um, just over 6,000 soldiers now who've returning uh, from the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and um, he is he's doing some really exciting things with these tension release exercises and he wants massage therapists to learn about them because we are allowed to touch people and he thinks that the addition of touch would really uh, widen their uh, healing experience. This is very exciting, very edgy stuff. You want to tune in for sure. Excellent. That's and that's tomorrow. That sounds really interesting. And uh, after taking um, Whitney Lowe's classes, gosh, can you imagine how effective we could all be after learning what our, our guest tomorrow is going to tell us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cres, oh. bring the soldiers home. We're ready for them. Yeah. So right. thank you, uh, everybody, again. And you can find us at massagepodcast.com. All of our previous episodes are on there. And uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we look forward to chatting with you all tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Jorge. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you, Whitney. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.